Forsooth, gentlemen, it is good to see you here. What's with the long trumpet? And the suit of armor. Pageantry, my friends, for we have a new supporter on Patreon. Oh, yeah. Our newest Patreon supporter is Rich Serkaman. Thank you so much for your support, Rich. Rich uh, stated his favorite movie of 2018 is Free Solo, and since he is now supporting our show, we will return the favor by reviewing Free Solo later this season. Thank you for your support, Rich, and to all our Patreon supporters. If you want to support our show, visit patreon.com slash firsttimewatchers. And thank you for all of us here at the studio, for it is with thy help that we are thou able to continue to bring such fine product each week. Are you going to do this every time we get a new supporter? Huzzah! And we're live. Hello and welcome back to another If We Reverse the Rotation of the Earth and Go Back in Time, Can We Promise This Podcast Never Existed? Episode of the First Time Watchers Podcast. Because we like to watch. My name is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. This is Walter Vinci. And what we like to do on the FTW Podcast is find a movie that none of us have seen, watch together, and then discuss. These movies could be new, they could be old, or something that's on all of our lists of shame. Stay tuned to the very end of this episode to each of us make a very special movie recommendation. Remember, you can email us at firsttimewatchersgmail.com. Speaking of feedback, oh. I just want to get, uh, once again thank Mark Herney for joining us last week on our Best of 2018 episode as we started a new season this year. And uh, we had a grand time. We had uh, a number of feedback after posting or while we were recording about what everybody's favorite or most underrated movie of the year was. It's a lot of fun stuff there. And uh, also, I want to thank everybody on the Lambcast that had me on in January talking about our most anticipated films of 2019. And of course... I just want to say my most anticipated movie of the year is still Triple Threat, starring a bunch of uh, action stars, including Tony Jaa and Iko Uwais. Oh, my God, I can't wait for this fucking movie. And, you know, I'm also looking forward to, like, uh, Dragged Across Concrete, the new uh, S. Craig Zoller film, you know, the guy who did Bone Tomahawk at Brawl and Cell Block 99. Oh. So a- any, any movies other than the, the big, well-known ones that you guys are anticipating? Like well, triple threats on my radar. Yeah, sure. For sure. Sure. And so is Big Shark. Because <laughs> I really I need to see what he's going to do with this. Well, who is this? This is Tommy Wiseau's Big Shark movie. <laughs> and the poster for it looks even more ridiculous. It looks so badly photoshopped of like Tommy Wiseau just kind of standing there, Greg Sestero just kind of standing there, and some guy in the middle I've never seen before just pointing. <laughs> like a sh- look of shock on his face at at at, at, at something, uh, and of course John Wick three Parabellum. Oh, 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 I can't wait! I just caught the trailer for Frozen two today. Hey, so did I. Does that come out this year? Uh, in November, at Thanksgiving. Hmm. Looking forward to that. Toy Story <laughs> four, all the animated films. So everything that Disney's making this year, every single month. Yep, all the live action stuff they're putting out. The new Aladdin trailer looks fire. Hey, oh. uh. <laughs> okay, that's a whole different discussion that could take a whole fucking segment. But uh, what? No, like in all seriousness, what do you think of this live action Lion King? It's pretty divisive. How much people are either looking forward to it or completely lambasting the idea of a 
a shot for shock remake of the lion king which honestly i don't think is going to be a shot for shot remake i think they just showed in their trailer every single scene that people are familiar with and uh and would touch the nostalgia bone i think they're kind of in a i don't know i I feel like they're not going to be able to make everyone happy obviously that's why it's so divisive is like for the people that you know, love the original, you know, obviously they can't stray too far away because then people will complain about that. But then the people that are on the other opposite end were like, well, I don't want just to direct a remake of this shot for shot remake so that then they're not going to make those people happy. So like they're kind of in a lose-lose situation. I don't have the font near the fondness for Lion King that you do. I, I appreciate it as a film, but I think I was a bit older when it came out. And I think you're what, like three years younger than me. It probably was in your, that sweet spot for you. Um, like I'll, I'll probably check it out. I don't know if I'll see it in the theater, but, um, you know, if the kids have some interest in it, maybe I'll take them, but I, I'm definitely not looking forward to it as much as most. Wally, I, I still say this movie is going to make the most money. It's got, I think it will it's, earn. It's going to make so much bang. I think it's going to come in number two at the very least. Number three, all time domestic box office. All right. So is there a star Wars movie coming out this yeah, year? Yes. Oh, that's a, that's really the only one that's gonna be able to come close to it. Uh, well, and then the End Game, Avengers End Game. So <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I'm also gonna posit too that uh, this new Lion King is not a live action remake. There's no live action. Okay. Anyways, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, in this episode, we continue our second time watcher series to discuss a film from my childhood, the 1978 film Superman the movie. But before we get into that, it is time for yay or nay. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we discuss what we have seen recently on our own Wally. All right, I've only seen one thing so far this week. And let me tell you, fellas, it's one of the best comedies that's coming out this year. It's on Netflix. It's streaming right now. And it is called Fire, an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the infamous unraveling of the Fire Music Festival. I've never laughed so hard at a documentary in my entire <laughs> life. This movie is nonstop mirth on my part. Because nothing makes me happier than watching a bunch of rich, entitled fuck nuts get screwed over. Um, I feel really bad for all the the island workers there that really got screwed over. Like basically, they turned into slaves by the uh, when you hear how this whole thing falls apart. But I remember being on Twitter when this was going on and watching people lose their shit over it. <laughs> I remember all the the social media backlash, and it just brought me back to a to a wonderful time where I was sitting there able to laugh again at the misfortunes of all these influencers uh, and just just how people are people the one thing I hate about like documentaries like this the one thing I absolutely hate more than anything is like when they go oh this guy was either uh, uh, crazy or he's a genius no this guy's a fucking moron <laughs> Billy McFarlane is a blood uh, is a fucking idiot right just listen to him talking and, and just like who you put Ja Rule in charge of this, a guy who's just basically aimlessly doing stuff throughout the, the whole documentary and the behind the scenes. I'm like, really? And you expected this to work? No, you're a fucking moron. And you're just a moron that happened to hoodwink a lot of people. But just remembering all the all the stories of people being stuck on that island for several days and not being able to get off. And they used FEMA tents and they were giving cheese sandwiches. Oh, glorious. I've never <laughs> laughed so hard. It was such a wonderful time. This is an A fuck plus in my book. <laughs> I saw this as well. This is one of the documentaries I was going to talk about. And I, I kind of a few weeks removed from it because I watched it during our break. But yeah, it's it's really a really slow train wreck. 
Like, I remember hearing about this. I definitely wasn't as involved in, like, the Twitter stuff, like Wally says, but I, I was familiar with it. But I also hate the idea of, like, social media influencers, like these walking advertisements, basically, these walking commercials for, like, you know, you know, the, they basically sold this thing on nothing. Like, it was, it was built on, like, it was like a house of cards, basically. Like, it was, like, all about hype and the hype machine and getting all these people that are popular to, to promote it. And they really had nothing. Like, they just promoted it. And it, and it really does come off like a scam. Like, the whole time it was this scam. It was like this pyramid scheme. You just get money to build the next thing. And you really, there is no end game. Like, and they screwed a lot of people. Like, and Wally got a lot of delight from that. I got to admit a little bit, too, from, like, these people that just bought into this hype machine. And, and just were all about, like, this, like, exclusivity. And this, like, you know, this, like, sort of, like, tier of, like, you know... Uh, you know, show or whatever they were supposed to be putting on. Um, so I, I also felt incredibly bad for the people that they they duped in, like you know, to to build these stages and these these tents and the people that were supplying the food and stuff like that. And I mean, the most humorous story is the the one of the guys that was working with Billy McFarlane and and what he almost had to do to get like, Andy the water. King. Yeah, that that is. <laughs> Unreal, unreal the story he tells because he went down there almost ready to do something that I couldn't believe he was willing to do in the first place to get this done. But I mean, yeah, like it's it's fascinating. It's frustrating. But yeah, ultimately, like I haven't seen the, the Hulu one yet. I kind of want to, but it, I would also say yay on it for for anybody that has a, a passing interest in more of the story of what happened with this this fire festival. Uh, OK, so. I'll only mention a couple of things. First off, I, I, you remember this movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, guys, uh, with uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, and Anne Hathaway uh, called Serenity? Hermano, do you remember this? I I know it came out, but it, so, I haven't heard much anything about it. Yeah, this movie was supposed to come out last year, like in uh, April. And this is from the same director uh, that did Locke with Tom Hardy. Okay. Uh, wow. And so, guys, you remember those like 1980s noirs that paid homage to the 40s noirs that came out because they could update them and actually include like the sex yeah. and swearing? Okay. You remember the slew of shitty 90s tech based films that were made only because they had the ability like to include fancy digital effects and, and like the World Wide Web was new? Yep. Okay. Well, this movie is like the bastard child of those two types of films with the Book of Henry thrown in. Um, what? <laughs> this this movie is batshit insane. And uh, Hermano, you still haven't seen the Book of Henry, have you? No. Oh my god, I just couldn't pull the trigger. <laughs> the, the Book of Henry is 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 a fascinating mess. As is this movie. I can't even begin to imagine what the actors were thinking when they were filming this, because I don't think the the director and the, he's also the writer of this knew what he was doing either. It's like this big like mumbo jumbo idea of existentialism and what it means to be alive and questioning who we are. And, but there's no point, there's no purpose. Uh, and it has no idea what it wants to be. The, 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 the tone is all over the place. Everything in the kitchen think kitchen sink is thrown at the screen. Uh, five stars though. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Like there's this twist that you can probably see coming cause it's not really that well hidden. And you'll be like, it's not really going there. And it goes there and you're like, Holy fucking shit. My mouth is a gape uh, for, for the majority of this movie. I was like, I cannot play. Like, I have no idea what's happening. And Matthew McConaughey is, 
like there's part parts of the movie is just like screaming at the sky and I'm like what the fuck is going on and it's it's amazing it's amazing this is totally worth like when it comes to streaming or or, or dvd or something like that to to uh to to pick up and watch on a, on a rainy night because it is fascinating mess fascinating High, highest of recommendations uh, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, so Steven Soderbergh came out with a movie that went straight to Netflix and uh, called High Flying Bird. So this is a, his second movie, I believe, that he filmed on an iPhone camera. Uh, last year he did Unsane, which is actually pretty good. And I think he utilizes the iPhone camera pretty well for that movie. There's more like claustrophobic spaces that he's able to to use it in interesting ways. I got. I was a little annoyed in this movie because there's a lot of more open spaces, open air uh, environments that he, it, it becomes more of a problem because there's no zooming in the with an iPhone camera the way he's using it. And uh, and granted, I know he's using like special lenses that are probably attached to this the, the iPhone, but it, despite that, it's like every single shot, no matter how close or far away they are from people, it's, it has the same depth of field. And it becomes distracting. Uh, outside of that, it's an interesting movie. It's not going to be for everybody because, it, you know, technically it's about like the machinations of an NBA lockout and an agent trying to maneuver uh, like his agency, his own personal gain, and his clients, one of his clients, contracts and, and negotiating uh, for more money and all that kind of stuff during this lockout. And there's a lot of technical jargon that people can get lost in that ultimately the movie isn't about that. It's all about like, like I said, personal gain. And you know, it's like several of these players or, or people uh, within the movie manipulating the system uh, for their gain and happiness. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It, it's it, like I said, it's not gonna be for everybody. Like Hermano, you might appreciate it on, on some level. I'm not, I wouldn't recommend it to you, Wally, because I think you would just get bored. And, I, you know, it w- it took me about 20 minutes to get on its wavelength, so it's it's fine. It's it, it's a good movie. Out of the four movies I've seen this year so far, it's it's the best movie I've seen. So uh, I'm not saying that much, but it, it, it's it's worth a watch for some people. Uh, Hermano. All right, the only other documentary I watched, again, I'm, I'm a couple oh, weeks removed I, from I, this one as well. I bet I know what it is. I, I know what it is. <laughs> okay, so I, I need to set this up a bit. I, I get a lot of, uh, I don't know if you guys do like um, like Google News or anything like that. Like they kind of curate stories based on your search mm-hmm. history sure. sort of. Yep. So like they, they kind of find or they try to guess what you're into. So obviously they know I'm into true crime. <laughs> so every once in a while I'll get like these like stories, uh, these news stories that are like, oh, top 10 crazy documentaries on Netflix right now or something like that. And one of the ones I hadn't heard of, but it came out, I guess, 2017, uh, is one called Abducted in Plain Sight. I knew it. Was that your guess? Yep. Okay. (laughs) On the story that I read, it was presented as probably one of the craziest stories you've ever heard. And it's all true. And um, and yeah, right on. (laughs) Because it is definitely one of the craziest stories I, I actually had to look this up and I'm like, there's no way this is real. Like there's no effing way. But then I remembered, all right, well, this takes place in the seventies, you know, basically the, the decade of the serial killer, uh, because everyone was just kind of all loosey goosey, hippie trippy and stuff. So 
Uh, I'll read the synopsis real quick on uh, on IMDb. It says, The twisting, turning, stranger-than-fiction, true story of the Brobergs, a naive, church-going Idaho family that fell under the spell of a sociopathic neighbor with designs on their 12-year-old daughter. So uh, I won't spoil too much, but the basic premise is that this guy abducted the same girl twice and right out in the open. Like, he basically was able to use what they described as sociopathic charm that he had, where he could make situations seem normal, even though they were completely abnormal. Um, and I think I've put a lot of the blame on the parents of the girl that's abducted twice, because she's basically brainwashed. The parents just kind of let things wash over them like it's no big deal. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with their um, their religion, I think, in one aspect. Uh, they're just very naive, like the synopsis says. And, yeah, the story's insane because there are a lot of revelations made specifically by the parents themselves as to how this guy was able to corrupt them as well. And it's it's not exactly like a, a polished documentary in the way that I would say like a lot of the Netflix ones are um, typically, but it's the story really that kind of is what you come for. And it definitely delivers on that end. Um, but it, it's just insane. Like, I really don't want to spoil it for you guys. It's better to go in almost like not knowing anything because I basically went in just on that news story. I said they described it as one of the craziest documentaries you'll ever see. And it definitely was that. And, uh, you know, they do the typical stuff. It's a lot of like interviewing the parents, interviewing the girl. Uh, they're telling their stories about how this was all able to happen. Uh, it's kind of intercut with like recreations, um, a la like super eight camera footage, but like, it's all recreation. It's not like actual footage from the time, but it's made to look like 70s super eight type stuff. So, um yeah it's just fascinating i would definitely recommend it to both of you especially if you're even you know passing interest in like just completely absurd and it's not like your typical like you know it's not like the ted bundy documentary it doesn't ever get that crazy like as far as like a bunch of murders and stuff like that but just the idea of what one person and their ability to just brainwash people and how powerful that could be. It's it's insane. So I, I would definitely recommend it. It's EA overall. Wait, did you see that Ten Buddy documentary? No, I've been putting it off because I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts on it already. I, I feel like I already pretty much know that story. So maybe you know a year down the road or something. Walter here yet? No, but when he does get here, I want some answers. Yeah, me too. What kind of person puts his friends in an induced coma? And then replaces them with robots. So we can test his AI programming. You know, saying this out loud... Does sound ridiculous. Well, that's a fine how'd you do. <laughs> what the hell? What is that? It's your studio audience. What? 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 When? 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 How? When? Yeah, they do that every time I say one of my zany catchphrases. 
You know what show should have you as an audience? The In Session Film Podcast. That's right, Tim. The In Session Film Podcast is JD and Brendan. Mm, Brendan. What the hell? Told you, Tim. Studio audience. Each week, the In Session Film Podcast chooses a movie to review. Then creates a top three list based on what they just saw. This week, the In Session Film Podcast is reviewing Lego Movie 2. And a top three list of non-Disney animated films. You can check their show on iTunes by searching for, you guessed it, the In Session Film Podcast. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. So if you're in the mood for more great movie reviews and discussion, then check out the In Session Film Podcast on iTunes. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. Wally, when did we get a studio audience? And when did you get a catchphrase? He doesn't have a catchphrase. Are you sure? (laughs) Stop that. This is a second time watchers episode, so that means we like to play a game we like to call Movie Battle Royale. This is where we use flickchart.com to create our collective top 10 list of all times. Uh, we will be pitted with five pairings of movies and decided which one is better with each battle. Are we ready? Let them fight! First up, Wedding Crashers versus Rocky. Come on. Come on. Rocky. Come on. Rocky. Next. <laughs> that was easy. Uh, <laughs> next up, uh, Seven. You know, the David Fincher. Uh, yep. uh, Blade on a Dick Dude uh, versus yep. uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Oh, this is not even a contest again. Seven, moving on. Are you sure? Are you sure? Come I'm on. Positive. <laughs> Come on, official. Make it official. Come on. Don't make me say it. Say it. Say it. Seven. Thank you. Uh, the Green Mile versus t- Spider-Man 2. Oh. Oh. Oh, the Sam Raimi one? Yes. Oh. This is a bit closer, but I think I have a winner. You know what? I understand the Green Mile is a masterpiece movie. What? It, what? Movie masterpiece. It's it's, it's it, uh, people people are, are still talking about it to this day. I can certainly are. Movie. Who's yes. talking about this? I don't hear yeah, anybody. I see I see stuff from this movie posted all over message boards and other forums that I'm on mm. all the time, constantly. Mm. Whenever I hear about it now, it's like the guy, the Doug Hutchinson guy that was in it, and how he married like a like an 18 year old or something. He was 50. <laughs> That's the only time I ever hear Green Mile mentioned now. Mister Krabs is a is a guard in That's there. Right. No, that uh, was Shawshank. I was trying. Oh. What am I thinking of then? Oh, God. You're thinking of Shawshank, maybe. Are you really thinking about Shawshank Redemption? What do you hear I, people talk? <laughs> no, Green Mile's the one with the electric, where they, I forgot the sponge was supposed to be wet. Yeah. That's yes. the Green Mile. Yes. yes. All right, that is, the, I'm still thinking of the right movie. I'm just, I have, my security guards are wrong. Oh, okay. okay. But I, it's also, what, like three and a half hours long? Yeah, close to that. I, so I remember. Spider-Man us. 2 wins because it's easily <laughs> rewatchable. 
I, I don't have actually, to invest as much time as Spider-Man 2. I, I'll give credit where credit's due, because Green Mile, I remember you guys shocked me by telling me that Green Mile was three and a half hours long, and I'm like, I've seen it multiple times, and never once did it feel like it was three and a half hours long, so credit where credit is due for pacing and definitely not feeling like a, a movie that's probably an hour longer than typical long films, so... Um, but Sam Raimi's my boy. I really, really like Spider-Man 2. I I still maintain that Spider-Man 2 is the best superhero movie of all time, although we may have a discussion soon about one that may rival it. Interesting. Uh, But yeah, Spider-Man 2. Uh, Next up, here we go. Rocky, again, for some reason. Again, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, which I maintain is the second best Star Wars film of all time so far. You know, I really love uh, Revenge of the Sith. I actually own it. I saw it multiple times in the theater. But Rocky is a classic. I'm going to have to give it to Rocky. Of course. Wait, Wally, let me ask you a question. Do you own Revenge of the Sith, but not the other two prequels? I do. <laughs> Weird. Well. Because because to me, the, the to me like the only part that I care about starts as a present, at Revenge of the Sith and leads right into A New Hope. It, it's not it's that bad of an argument, to be honest with you. I, I, I get the argument, because I, I could see where you would not want to own the other two, but I... I feel like I would just buy. I bought the three pack. Like I didn't just say, "Oh, you know what? I'm only gonna buy one of them. The only one I like the best, not the other two. Nope. Um, and I even cut. I even cut like my box and like extended it out with pieces of like cardboard to make sure that they all all the movies all fit in the same <laughs> box set. <laughs> uh, you, you should also get Rogue One to put in between Revenge of the Sith and. Uh, hey, to the no, no, no. Oh, Rogue One's a good movie. Rogue One's no, a great not. movie. I'm coming around on it. I yeah. saw it three times now and. Like it more each time. Yeah, you do. Gareth uh, Edwards, funny. What were the two again? <laughs> it was Rocky versus Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Rocky. Yeah, sure. of course, Rocky. Uh, lastly, and finally, staying with Star Wars for some reason, uh, Return of the Jedi versus Chasing Amy. Uh-oh, Wally. Oh, Wally. Oh, boy. You know what? It's going to go to Return of the Jedi. It's still my favorite of the original series. Mm. Look, I... And you know what? Kevin Smith would abide by that, too. He would say, you know what? Return of the Jedi is better than my fucking movie. So I know I've got his backing. I I don't like Chasing Amy. I never liked it. I saw, uh, once again, a lot, most, all, uh, most of Kevin Smith I didn't see initially. And I caught up later on. So it was, uh, it was past my... my prime age of when I should have watched them, I guess. So maybe if I saw it back in 97 when I was 19 years old, I probably would think differently. Uh, Chasing Amy, when I saw it maybe 10 years after that, I was was totally turned off by it. I was like, no, I don't like this movie at all. Uh, Mainly because of all the characters. And uh, But yeah, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I haven't seen Chasing Amy probably since the... It came out, what, late 90s? I just said 97. Oh, 97. Okay, sorry, I didn't. Uh, But yeah, I've heard... It's it doesn't age well. It's probably more problematic now than it was then, uh, based on the subject matter. Uh, but it's one I haven't wanted to revisit for some reason. I don't know. I feel like it's just a product of its time. And even though a lot of people say it's probably his best film, I I don't know. His uh, best film is Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, followed by Red State. Yeah, I've heard people say those as well. But um, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, what was the other one? Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Return of the Jedi.
Alright guys, so we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's gotta, it's gotta be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's gotta be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal. Stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boots. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire. Underclothes. Crepes. Character studies. Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? No. Tree rape. Hmm. Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. All right, let's talk about Superman, the movie. What's your background? Uh, where do you hail from? Well, it's uh, kind of hard to explain, actually. See, I'm from, um, well, pretty far away. Another galaxy, as a matter of fact. I come from a planet called Krypton. Huh? Krypton. Oh, Krypton! With a C-R-I? Uh, no. No, actu- actually, it's Krypton with a K-R-Y, P-T. K-R-Y. Do you like pink? I like pink very much, Lois. Why are you? I'm sorry? I mean, uh, why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. <laughs> You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. I'm sure you don't really mean that, Lois. I don't believe this. Lois? Hmm? I never lie. Um, uh, oh, just how fast do you fly, by the way? Oh, I don't know, really. No, never actually, uh, you know, bothered to time myself. No? Say, why don't we find out? And how do you propose we do that? Take a ride with me? The plot. An alien orphan is sent from his dying planet to Earth, where he grows up to become his adoptive home's first and greatest superhero. The director, Richard Donner, the actors, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, Gene Hackman, and a number of others. This will, of course, be a, be a spoiler-filled discussion, but I'm not sure why nobody has seen this movie. Uh, before you guys get into it, let me just tell you a little bit of why I chose this movie as my second-time watcher's pick. Uh, mainly because we are in an era, a glut of superhero films, and many people of this current generation are very spoiled and don't know what it was like prior to... We could say 2000, I guess, when X-Men, the first X-Men came up. And uh, even during 2000 to 2008 or so before the first Iron Man uh, came out, you you know, there was probably still a decent amount, but not nearly the same amount since uh, Iron Man came out. And uh, we've been spoiled with 
relatively good content, consistently good content, and uh, uh, a plethora of films to go every three months to the box office and say, look, another superhero movie. Yay. Okay. Um, but there was a time period uh, when we were growing up where they were much fewer and far farther between, and especially the quality of them was not nearly as good. Uh, and... You know, the Superman the movie was the gold standard for a long period of time. It, it was probably on a heavy rotation on VHS when I was growing up. I believe that my mom had probably taped it off the television, uh, you know, when it was like the CBS <laughs> Sunday night of the movie, Sunday night movie or whatever. And um, and I, I wore that that recording out and and it was the superhero the superhero movie and the superman that i was most familiar with so and it had been a while since i had seen it uh i remember you know back uh last decade i guess i i bought the first two superman christopher reeve movies on dvd and and uh like even i don't think i've watched in this movie in at least 10 years probably more and uh, i didn't remember much of it and uh, i thought it'd be good to go back and see what it was like and see how well it holds up and uh wondering if maybe you feel the same way hermano yeah i i actually tried to rack my brain to to think when the last time i saw it from beginning to end uh mia did mention that we did catch i think maybe the end uh, a couple of years ago, it was just on TV. Like I, it'd been a, quite a while. I felt like since probably as long as you you just said like ten years or or more since I'd seen it from beginning to end, and I probably didn't see it a ton when I was a kid. And I was reminded why it because it's almost two and a half hours long. It's not like a just put on whenever and just sit down and watch it because you really had to dedicate a decent amount of time. And as a young kid, like I said, I was out a lot, like playing sports and doing other things like I, I just wouldn't dedicate two and a half hours to sit down and watch something even something like Superman and I, I wasn't a super you know comic book head when I was younger I, I there was a phase but it quickly went away but uh I always did ha kind of have a fondness and I agree it's definitely the gold standard when we were younger like there wasn't really a lot I felt like superhero things were mostly tv shows like the Incredible Hulk mm. Batman obviously uh, there was a Wonder Woman one, you know, like things like that. I feel like they were kind of relegated to that. And Superman was probably one of the only big properties that you probably could make a full length uh, film out of. And, you know, Richard Donner made a, a classic all time iconic film. Uh, Wally? Well, this was uh, probably one of the first superhero movies I can remember seeing as a kid. And you're right, Tim, there was there was uh, in the dark times <laughs> between the release of this movie in Superman 2, which I actually put actually put Superman 2 above Superman 1. Uh, just being on a sheer action standpoint, uh, I don't think Superman 2 can be beat. Because uh, there was nothing up until uh, Batman, by my recollection, Batman 1989. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And then after that, I got Darkman, what, 1991 was Darkman? Yeah. Which wasn't even a popular, yeah. not, not even a popular product. It was just, you know, a, an awesome Sam Raimi take on a superhero. And then, you know, I had to wait again until the 2000s well batman returns is pretty well regarded by a lot of people a lot of people like that it was pretty popular too in 92 i think never dug it uh, uh, sure no it, you know yeah it's not it's not as good or uh, so uh, a lot of people don't put it on the same level but there is a big appreciation for batman returns uh and but then the schumacher films came out and everybody <laughs> everybody panned those of course but uh i did i mean as a kid i remember 
uh, certain parts of this movie that uh, did not like, specifically the Lois Lane, can you read my mind <laughs> bit, which I didn't like as a kid. And as, a, as an adult, I'm like, fucking A, I hate this part. <laughs> like, I don't care. Get on with it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that that part is probably uh, probably the, the weakest the, movie. the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, but I, I, you know what? I'll tell you this. Uh, I still get chills when like the helicopter is hanging there, and you hear the music start to play. I'm like, he's coming. <laughs> Superman's coming, and you, you see him like you see Clark look out, and he looks up, and I'm like, he's coming, he's coming. And then you just runs toward the camera, opens up his shirt. I'm like, yes. Because I want to see Superman doing Superman things. And he does it consistently throughout this movie. Ah, I love it. Still love it. (laughs) Uh, Arvado, do you feel the same way about those moments? (laughs) I do and I don't. Um, I feel like this this film is kind of interesting because it's kind of a mixed bag. I think there were times where it was really going for the the golden age, iconic imagery and, you know, Superman, like Wally said, doing Superman things. But then there's also like the, the really slapsticky, like Ned Beatty, Mm. Gene Hackman stuff Mm -hmm. that for me feels more like what comic books are now, like comic book films specifically are now a lot of like, kind of like slapsticky, hijinksy, jokey, joke, joke type thing. It was kind of a mixed, uh, mixed bag for me um I, I still appreciate all the things like when superman is like you know all the iconic stuff him ripping open his shirt saving people there's like the world's slowest superman saves the day montage in this film <laughs> like where it, it, i i classify it as a montage because it's nothing but a series of him saving things right. uh, saving people or or stopping crimes yeah and it, and, and it only it only takes place in metropolis there's yes. there's nothing around the world. The only time you see him go, well, of course, around the world, but uh, the only time you see him <laughs> outside of Metropolis to help anything else is with the missiles. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that that slow montage culminates in one of the, the scenes that captured my imagination the most, the little girl with her cat in yeah. the tree. <laughs> and how that ends. Did you guys catch how it ends? Oh, yeah, yes. with the slap. <laughs> yeah. I remember how? that clearly. I'm sitting next to Kate going, she's going to get slapped for this. <laughs> she's like, really? I'm like, listen, how dare you lie? <laughs> yeah, I, I did not remember that at all. Yeah. And to hear her go in and, and tell this story, it, it, it's kind of a running theme because people will be like, the cops do it too. The cops are like, hey, some guy just in red boots and a cape just like, you know, dropped this criminal here. And even you know, the policeman doesn't believe him and stuff. And, even early on, uh, it, the train that goes through Smallville with young Lois Lane saying that, mommy, I just saw somebody running really fast, faster than the train. And, and, uh, and the mom says, now don't tell lies. You know that you're right. Yeah. That theme goes throughout. Yeah. And then, it, you know, it culminates in that scene with a little girl going and saying, look, all this flying man just, you know, saved you know my cat from the tree or whatever. And she's like, what did I tell you about lying? And then immediately just smacks her daughter. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, I, I just kind of was shocked by that because I didn't remember it at all. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, obviously, there's so many things that are completely iconic about the film. The score is to this day the most recognizable oh, superhero it, theme. It is amazing. It And it's not just the main theme. It's everything in between, too. John Williams' score throughout the whole fucking movie is phenomenal. I feel like they don't really do this anymore. Like, can you even think of one superhero nowadays that has an, their own theme? Well, I can only think of the Avengers theme song. 
Uh, I can't even remember that. Like, yeah. I don't know what it would sound like. I couldn't hum it if you asked me to right now. Yeah, uh, the Batman, the Batman, Batman score has been pretty consistent, even the new DC movies. Um, um, I can do the Bane one, but I, I don't know if I could do the Batman one to be honest. Yeah, no, the like I, the, the Bane one I remember because it was it was just kind of out there and it was really different than anything else, and it kind of had like a beat to it. Okay. Yeah. I do remember the the new Wonder Woman one. Because sure. that was, you know, and the new Superman one, I kind of recognize it as well because I it was the first time we'd heard something different than the John Williams one. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of the Avengers they don't have their own theme, right? Like Captain America doesn't have his Captain America theme. I does he? I think they do, but it's not nearly as as memorable. You're right. It, it's time. just the the Avengers the uh, movies uh, that that main theme when the when the title card comes on screen that's very memorable. Yeah. Thor technically has his own. It's the immigrant song by Led yeah, Zeppelin. Not really. It's just for a moment <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, but I feel like yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a you know a classic take on the superhero, but it's also, it's got legs. Like this film's been around since the late '70s, and I still think it's like one of the better ones ever made. Like it just really captured Superman. I think the way that a lot of people often point to is like that's my superman that's how i want well, superman to be yeah that's the thing is it is it i i imagine it's very respectful and truthful and honest to its core source material and it it maintains that uh that level of of americana from from a golden age now look in in the mid to late 70s in it, uh, obviously you're dealing with you know, post Vietnam and post Watergate, you're 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 dealing in a time period that is very tumultuous, uh, politically and socially, and I'm sure this this uh, touched something in the the audience and made it so popular that because it harkened back to a golden age uh, where there were, I guess, when you just talk about core values and and people are in society at that time are looking for something like that. Uh, and, and this movie is very pure, um, and, and it doesn't take a lot of risks. It doesn't take a lot of risks uh, in terms of the character, in terms of storytelling. It's very straightforward. It's it's very it, it, there's not much in terms of Clark slash Kel L's, uh, you know, identity. Him dealing. I mean, there's moments like when he first goes to the Fortress of Solitude and is learning, is is talking with his with Jor El. And then uh, at the end, uh, which is probably the finest acting moment in Christopher Reeve, uh, when, when Lois dies with his his r- scream of rage. Now, everything that precedes that with turning back time, I mean, that's that's lame. It's awful. No, it's not. No, I'm sorry, Wally. There's no defense of spinning the world and and turning back time. Yes, it, there is. It, no. I can. I can do it. I. I knew you were going to bring this up. There's no defense. Be- I'll tell you why. Because on on a fundamental level of just destroying the the the, the magnetism of Earth is is awful. And just just the idea, just on a conceptual level of looking at it, it it's lame. Nope. Superman doing super things. He's the only one that can do it. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, but no, I think Wally ha- kind of has a point there because there are aspects of this film that it almost feels like it's clearly they're they're treating it as more of like a this is something that is clearly 
taken straight out of a comic book. Like that's something he would do in a comic book. You know him. Like there's there's a there's a point in this film where I, I could kind of get behind the joke that you know he goes to run for a phone booth and there isn't one. It's just kind of like a, a payphone out in the open. And then he just kind of finds like a, a turnstile, right? And kind of become, you know, his clothes just kind of shit off, and he, he all of a sudden he jumps out of a building. He jumps out. Yeah, he jumps out of a building, and his clothes like just disappear. <laughs> like it's like he can make them disappear or something. Right. He's moving like, that fast. Okay. That's the thing is like I think that's what they're trying to convey, but it doesn't. Obviously, they weren't able to really fully convey that. Like it just looks like his clothes just disappear. Like he sh- like he they disintegrate or something like there, there was, there's a lot of things like that in the film where like, you just got to attribute it to like, this is a different time. This probably wouldn't fly now unless it was in a very Uh jokey toned comic book film. But here's the thing. The flash can travel through time just by running. He runs into the time stream. Superman's only done this once on film because he was so hurt and upset. He actually created a time loop around California because he only stays around the equator for the most part. Okay. I, I, I can't <laughs> he even puts, it. He reverses the time stream around Lois and saves her. I can't oh, even. And by the way, manages to knock out both missiles because he knows where they're going now. He doesn't have to waste time talking or dealing with uh, Lex Luthor. He actually reverses that too. So that's why there's no explosion and behind Lois, the ground doesn't start to fault. Like, he I, stops both nukes. Yeah, I, I can't even begin to, to parse <laughs> that. that they they do try to level. explain it because in, in the uh, <laughs> as he's doing or about to attempt to do it, like you see the his cloud dad appear <laughs> and just be like, "Hey, you're not supposed to interfere in human history." <laughs> like, like I think he knows that he could potentially do it, but his father's warning him against doing it. But there really is no consequence to it. It's just that he saves her when. Technically, she should probably should And it's died. a purely selfish move. It's a purely s- selfish thing. So that's that's the only thing. And, and you know, there's, the movie essentially ends right after that. So there's no wrestling or discussion or internal dialogue about what he just did. So and I'm not... Obviously, this movie hasn't even begun to make you ask that. It doesn't force you to ask that anyways, you know, the, the way this movie is laid out. It's yeah, very straightforward. It feels like they laid something out and then they're like, all right, we better get out, of, get out in a hurry before people start asking questions. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's like they didn't want to even broach the idea that, like, he doesn't, I mean, he's the only one that knows that he does it, right? Like, everyone else is, like, nonplussed. They don't know right. anything happened. Right. Like, it, it's just, it's kind of like his own little so secret. And I, apparently his cloud dad is what's going on. <laughs> well, that's that's more of, like, an internal thing. Like, he's, he's remembering. Uh, and it's supposed to, uh, it's more of a, of a, a dialogue dump for the audience as a remember what he said. Uh, so yeah. it's not like he's, he's really there. The cloud dad is really in the clouds or anything like that. I like that. to think he was there. <laughs> uh, like uh, Mufasa, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, my memory of this was that this movie is in two parts, you know, everything in Smallville or, you know, uh, first on Krypton, then in Smallville, and then in Metropolis. And I, my memory was this movie looks gorgeous in its first half and looks terrible in its second half. And on rewatch, I wasn't that far off. I mean, I I, I may have not been giving enough credit in its second half for some of the moments that do look good, but there's a lot of moments in the second half which is obviously filmed on a studio, in a studio, in a soundstage or something like that, uh, on a set. Uh, there, there are a number of on-location moments, it seems, 
but the first half of this movie, even on Krypton, the look of Krypton, the look of that that structure or the structures that they're in, gorgeous. Uh, the uh, the scale with the model work is really well done in Krypton, much better so than the than the town that he saves uh, from the dam that breaks in the second half of the movie, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is really miniatures. obvious miniature work. And I think Donner is doing his best in editing from moment to moment uh, to try to cover up the obvious miniature work, but the camera just lingers on too long at times to be able to say, oh, look at those cute little miniatures. Um but in the first half with the moments in Smallville, there's so many just gorgeous, gorgeous scenes, uh, beautifully framed. I, I mean, I love the, the obvious moment of uh, product placement with the Cheerios box. But uh, despite that, the way all of that is filmed with the sunlight is gorgeous, almost Terrence Malick-like. Um, and, and even the, the, the scenes where, you know, he's, a, he's younger or when he's a teenager and uh, he's, uh, yeah. The look of him running itself is is silly, but the the way it's framed is nice. It looks really good. So there's a lot of it just seems like better craftsmanship in the first half than in the second half. What what do you guys think, like Wally? Uh, well, I also know that like Donner got fired like midway through this movie. I think it was the, a lot of the, the, uh, I think it was in the second movie because they were filming this back to back. Yeah, I know he shot a lot of the stuff for the second movie in the first because I watched. The Donna cut, and I actually got the confused. I got the, I confused the shit out of myself, because apparently the version that I have, I have the two thousand double DVD release, uh-huh. uh, and I put it in, and it starts off with the trial of Zod Zaor and um, oh, what the hell's his big name? Yeah, the the brute guy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I didn't want to watch Superman two. I want to watch Superman one, <laughs> and so like, I started the movie like four times, make sure I was looking at the right title screen. Yeah. I'm like, no, this is. This is the right movie. Yeah. All right. And then it, when it like goes into the, you know, goes into it, I was like, oh, all right. I, I all right. That's, this is the right movie. But it, it does feel like two different halves of things. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I know that some parts were reshot in the, in this first movie and they had to come, they like the, uh, the final director, I forget who, what, uh, what his name was, uh, reshot a bunch of things. Uh, and they also had to like do some different shooting because, uh, Christopher Reeve looked different from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie because he'd put on so much weight mm. from working out. Yeah. Hermano, so that might be that might be playing into some of this too. Yeah. Hermano, what do you think about the look of this movie? <clears throat> well, you know, obviously, you know, the miniature stuff was very really stood out in a way that I don't think I really necessarily noticed before. You know, mm-hmm. as a kid, that's one of the things I wanted to mention is like this is we watched this more or less in a more magical time in our lives yep. where like we were yep. probably not as critical of things like that, like miniature work. I mean, yeah. Star Wars had obvious miniature work too. They just hit it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, taking that into account, I think I was obviously more in awe of a lot of the stuff in this. In, in, and obviously you can notice a lot more as an adult, like the stuff on Krypton, I couldn't help but think like, the planet seemed so unlived in. Like it looked like everyone, <laughs> the entire population was under that dome. Yeah. yeah. Like man of steel, I think did a way better job of capturing Krypton's look. Like it's, it was different. It had a lot of like this, like organic, like things going on, like creatures and in, in different things. And it just felt way more lived in, in the short amount of, t- we, I mean, I feel like we spend more time in this film, uh, the 1978 one that is, than we do in, in man of steel. And, 
it's mostly because Marlon Brando is in that first. I feel like the first oh, oh, half an hour is oh. all Marlon Brando on Krypton. Speaking of Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman, I, I found it stunning, stunning in the opening credits that Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman's name come before the Superman title, and then after the Superman title is Christopher Reeve. I'm like, yeah. he was a nobody before this movie. Before you got this movie, though. I understand. He was an unknown. I understand, but that is still stunning to me. Yeah, it is. But like, look, I mean, this was this was really his the thing that made him a, a superstar. Sure. Yeah, sure. but I mean, even taking into account like Christopher Reeve is you know an iconic figure now because of films like this but i still wouldn't change the order i still would put it in the exact same order as far as billing goes like marlon brando's gotta get top billing you know, i mean jane hackman right. maybe comes close but well at that time yeah this is post uh post yeah. uh french Connection. i'm saying even now i wouldn't change the order i would probably put christopher neve's christopher Reeve's name before the title of the movie yeah. but yeah you know maybe that's the only order i would change so but. hermano it's interesting that you mentioned man of steel because guess what i just rewatched on monday Man of Steel. And uh, I did you appreciate it more or less? I did not do uh, Superman the movie justice by rewatching Man of Steel because I love Man of Steel even more now. Uh, yeah. I I this is the movie that I was teasing in the previous segment about possibly challenging Spider-Man 2 for the best superhero movie of all time. This is heresy to wow. a lot of people. Now, no, look, it, uh, when a push comes to stuff, it's still going to be uh, Spider-Man 2 because there's plot mechanics in Man of Steel that are uh, almost unforgivable or at least a lot more obvious than anything in Spider-Man 2. Uh, and, but the thing with that I love about Man of Steel is the idea that that Zack Snyder and crew actually do attempt to dig deeper into the superhero genre and actually ask the audience to question what it means to have powers and its realistic impact on the world as a whole. And that's the thing. This, the Man of Steel is a global movie, whereas, whereas Superman is a very America-centric movie. There's even a point in that movie when he's talking to Lois uh, where he says... I fight for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, granted, that's the only time he mentions America. That's the only time he mentions anything remotely America-centric. Uh, but it it still harkens back to that time of that's who Superman quote-unquote belongs to or where he belongs. And I love Man of Steel in which it takes it global. He is a a a, a force, a global force, and I love that Man of Steel abandons much of the past and some of the source material and reworks it to fit within today's political and religious climate. And I think it's the best way to handle the concept of super, Superman in a modern setting, in a modern context. So if, if you're going to make a new Superman movie and you want to go back to the original core material, you have to set it back in the past, in the 30s or 40s. And... Uh, so that's probably why Superman the movie works relatively well, because it it is harkening back in that tone, and it's still set in a time period which is you know you know looking back on it now obviously it's the past and and it's easier to to, to stomach, and also the way he handles the Superman or Kal El uh, wrestling with his identity. 
you know, like I said, in Superman the movie, there's no wrestling of his identity, of who he is as a person, of a, of where he belongs. But it, it is a very realistic thing to to expect a man, uh, an alien, with amazing powers on uh, on his, this planet that he now lives to question who he is and, and how he belongs and why he's there. And to turn that on its head where Pa Kent is the cynical one and the goodness comes from his his father Jorel and he actually communicates much more with Jorel and uh and that's where he realizes his innate nature like that moment in Man of Steel where he he saves the bus full of kids when he's a teenager and and his and um uh, Jonathan uh says you know or kind of brushes aside maybe you should have let them drown you know but then he kind of moves on from that like it's not the best answer because he doesn't know the best answer but he's trying to protect his child that's another thing i love about the movie is is he he it's his only child not even by nature it's his only child uh and he's doing everything he can to protect him to 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 shield him from the harshness that is this world, the reality that is the, the the harshness of this world. And he knows how they will treat him and he wants to shield him for as long as possible. So that when he, so then eventually when he grows up, he sees, you know, and he just talks essentially uh, and communicates with his true father and, and, and has a revelation of, of I have a goodness in me that hasn't been able to come out, be, but it is inherent in me. And I, and I, it's just so, it digs so much into the, uh, into that that idea, the, those themes that I just love. I, be, I on rewatch, I began to appreciate that movie so much more. And I know Wally, you have many issues with that movie and don't think of it nearly as highly as me. But Hermano, it, I, I'm sure you kind of think similarly. Yeah, you'll get no arguments from me, man. I'm a <laughs> I'm a huge defender of Man of Steel. I think even to this day, aside, there's been very few superhero films that I felt like took chances and with a character like Superman Superman's by far the biggest comic book recognizable character in the world and they took a chance with his character like you said they they updated him they brought him into contemporary time then it's not set in the in the 30s or whatever or it's not even set in the 70s it's not a love letter like Brian Singer's was that was trying to kind of sort of emulate the Donner films like it, he brought it into our modern time, and he brought Pa Kent into modern times, and the cynical nature of like how, like you just said, you you said it brilliantly. Like that's how someone would try to protect their son. Like nowadays, they know like what the world is like. They know the world is different. The world would, in everything he he feared comes true. Like the military gets involved. Like they want to like you know control him in a way. They're trying to you know like you know, keep tabs on him. You know, they, they try to surveil him essentially try to figure, you know, keep eyes on him, keep tabs on him. And Batman too. Batman is very cynical immediately. He's like, this guy is dangerous. Like what he did. And like, maybe he has, you know, a right to be scared or, you know, want to be prepared for, you know, some inevitable inevitability involving Superman. But like, I, I think tackling all those ideas in man of steel and like bringing it to modern times, I think was absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, no one was a fan of the Brian singer thing, maybe on some level, but like, it was just the same old, same old. Like I like when these films are willing to take a chance, whether or not it works, they swung for it. And you know, it's 50, 50, you know, half the people like it, half people don't. But like, 
I appreciate the effort and the chance. And I, I actually do think it's a really good film. I don't just like it because I think it took a chance. I like it because I actually think it's a, a solid updating of a character that I, I like. And uh, you talk about Brian Singer's version. You know, there are moments in that movie. There are moments where he does do those super things, like he saves the the airplane and uh, from crashing into the stadium. He he, you know, lifting of that that damn island or whatever at the end is you know. There's a lot of epic moments in that. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work, obviously. But uh, Wally, do you have any rebuttal to what we just said? No, I I actually like the Brian Singer Superman Returns. I, I enjoy it. It's it's again. It's giving me. I know it's a base. It's basically a rehash of the first Superman from the from the very beginning, and it's Superman doing super things, which is what I want. And Superman, Superman's the only person that can do stuff like this. And the one thing that I I I really like about this is that it exploits Superman's bigger weakness more effectively than all the other movies combined, and it's not. His uh, weakness to kryptonite. Superman's biggest weakness is his naivete. He's not stupid, but he genuinely wants to believe in things being good and things working out. That that's that's his biggest his biggest fault is that he is too trusting. He's too uh, he's he's almost too positive, and it's it's that which gets him in trouble and Lex Luthor exploits that in this movie perfectly by just kind of giving like a shit eating grin and like knowing that he knows Superman's not going to kill him no matter what he does. And so he can sit there and he can jerk his chain all day and Superman will play along because he knows he's that good and he won't do, do it. Do you think that there's enough time spent in the middle of this movie where, you know, he just gives this interview to Lois Lane and then, uh, Lex Luthor devises his plan just by reading this interview. Like, like do, we we don't get enough sense of, you know, the world understanding who Superman is, and it doesn't seem to me that Lex Luthor has enough information based on this to to exploit that weakness that you're talking about. Yes, I think he it it, it does a good job of depicting how he susses out the kryptonite and and the steel and and that kind of stuff from the basic information given, but. But do you think there's enough? No, there's not really fleshed out at all in this movie. He's kind of an afterthought, really, in in my book. And and it's Gene Hackman that playing a a really nice slimy asshole in this, (laughs) um, I think really sells the point across. And I think the thing that that really fucks Gene Hackman's character over as Lex Luthor over this is fucking Otis. It's it's (laughs) by far. Far and away the worst part of the movie. Like Miss Tessmacher is great because she plays into his plans. Like when they're trying to steal, like the oh, the codes from the nuke. Look, look, those. But, like, that's like, I'm so sorry. slapsticky because of Otis bumbling it around. Yeah, I'm sorry. Those those slapsticky scenes with the with the nukes and and the codes and all that kind of stuff. Another thing that stands out from Batman 1966. Yeah, is that, it's that's, bad. That's what the, that's what that is. It's it's terrible. Bad, bad. Uh, Hermano, what do you think about Gene Hackman at all? I, I liked him a lot in the film. I mean, he to me, he's still Lex Luthor. He embodies what I... I mean, he's my first introduction, aside from, like, you know, Super Friends on Saturday mornings and stuff <laughs> like that. Like, he's basically what I think of. When you say, you know, Lex Luthor, he's the first image that pops into my head. I think he... You know, I'll say that he, he's not necessarily... He's, it's weird. He's like this mix of, like, they're, it's very slapsticky, like the scenes he's involved in. 
he's involved in a lot of like the the Otis character specifically. Like they play off um, each other in a way a lot like the bat. Like you said, you got uh, it's exactly what it reminded me of. Is like the, the the Batman TV show is kind of you know really bought into like the the kid friendly comic book aspect silliness of comic books. Um, it's kind of weird though when when he's just utters lines where he's like totally open to just killing a bunch of people with with he wouldn't even shed a tear over it you know what i mean it's kind of weird that there's like these weird tonal shifts where he's being goofy but at the same time he's he's talking about doing completely horrific things and not thinking you know not losing a, a second sleep over it so it, it is kind of a weird um tonal shift oh definitely <laughs> and I, I feel like the film does have editing issues because I feel like at times they they just kind of paint everything with really broad strokes. Like they spend a lot of time on Krypton kind of uh, establishing where Superman comes from and what happened. But then the Smallville thing is like really, it feels really quick. Like that as that element of his life just kind of breezes on by. You don't get to spend a lot of time with the, the Pa Kent character. There's like one scene, which is, is pretty well done, but it's just kind of like where he, I think it's better done in Man of Steel where he, you know, the pocket is obviously trying to protect his son in a way because uh, of the world, where in this movie, it's more about, like, he feels like he could do so much more and he could easily, you know, take out these kids or be really good at football or whatever. Like, that's his, like, priorities, where his father's like, well, yeah, but then, you know, you're not here for that. Like, you're for what we don't know the reason but you're definitely not here to play football or whatever and be good at that like you're here to do something bigger they kind of brush over the fortress of solitude stuff it's just kind of a quick thing and all of a sudden he just emerges with the superman suit and you're just like okay and then there's like i feel like they spend maybe a little bit too much time with the whole wooing of of lois yeah i agree um i feel like i i, I still really love the the flying scene, I think that's iconic. You aside like, from the, you like the, that with with Margot Kidder, most of it because it plays like a silent film. It's like uh. there's almost no dialogue, and they're just flying, and they're just kind of, you know, emoting at one another, and just kind of smiling and and making like facial reactions. But then there's like her like inner thoughts, and that is brutal. Okay, <laughs> like can you read my mind? Yeah, like it, it. The interview thing was kind of weird too because it seems like she already knew things like to ask them she's like at one point she's like is it true you can see through things and i'm like how would she even know that this is like her literally her first meeting aside from being rescued like how would she even know to ask him that huh well maybe from reports of him doing things prior like somebody saying i don't I know so. i don't know how he saw me or i don't know how he saw that yeah but, i know. mean we have to assume that there's been other events that maybe we're not privy to but I found it weird that she was asking questions that she shouldn't have already known to ask. But, mm. yeah, it could be that. Because there is, like, that montage of, like, stuff. And then there's, like, a little newspaper stories that are spread out across Perry's desk about, like, all the stuff he's been doing. I I mean, I do like the... You alluded to it already, Wally, with the, the helicopter saving scene. And that's a really well-edited scene. Uh, the way all that is cut is well done. It hides a lot of the the practical work. The the wire work in this movie is really well done. I think there's only one scene where I saw the wires, and that's where he initially takes off with Lois. Uh, other than that, everything is well done. Like the the way that scene ends when he comes back is really great because it's green screen behind 
Margot Kidder, and then the you know, and then it, the camera pans over and uh, and uh, Clark knocks on the door. Uh, yep. And oh, once again, we have to credit Christopher Reeve for his dual performance here, and that moment where he comes in, and it looks like he's about to, uh, you know, tell Lois who he really is. That that moment where you know he slouched and he has the glasses on and he just rises up that that is just like an amazing performative acting moment because it's it's a physical transformation without doing anything he just changes his posture and he is in one second he's Clark and in the next moment he's Cal L and it's such such an amazing little touch. Um, I loved Christopher even this man. He's basically playing dual roles, and I think he plays them both incredibly well. Like the Clark stuff is just as good as the Superman stuff to me. Like when he's just kind of like being all you know full of himself, well not full of himself, but like sure of himself and talking to Lois and how he can, like you just said, how he could turn it off and just become Clark, and that's how he he kind of hides himself from people and and it's crazy like how how good he is in this most of his time spent as clark is observation there's a lot of times where he's in the background like in the in the meeting when perry white's office uh when she opens the note and he's just there uh there's like in the newsroom when he's sitting at his desk he's not really doing anything he's just waiting for lois to do something so he can interact with her and it's it's really kind of kind of amazing just just you you talk about silent film there's a lot of just reaction almost hearkening back to silent film era the his performances there the the scene in the alleyway when he he blocks the bullet then he faints and just his whole i mean when we talk about comedic moments that's probably the best comedic moment of the movie because it's a combination of serious threat and comedy with his his quote unquote weakness showing through, and it's just a really interesting sequence. And did you guys ever pick up on Wonder Woman uh, when Chris Pine and and Diana are uh, forced into the alleyway? That's an homage to this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other thing too is, uh, in the version that I watched, he looks at the camera and gives it like a. You saw that, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like Chris really like looks at the like the audience is now in on the joke too. Like, yeah. you saw me catch that, <laughs> but it works. Yeah, because that's that's part of what makes Superman fun is that you're in on the joke with Superman. Everybody mm-hmm. else in the movie has no idea who Clark Kent is, but you know who he is, and so you get to play along with him. Yeah. Uh, anything else about this movie you guys want to mention? Uh. Apparently, uh, when he, when uh, Reeve was was dressed as Superman on the set, uh, he had like a throng of like people following and like girls just falling over themselves. But they didn't like really notice. Like he when he changed the the Clark Kent outfit, they had no idea who he was. Hmm. <laughs> and that they, actually... they they part the hair on different sides too. <laughs> nice. You know, I I just want to mention this as kind of an aside, but like I remember a while back I saw a meme where. Uh, it basically the title was like, now I know how Clark Kent was able to fool everyone with just a pair of glasses and like, you know, a slight hair change or whatever. And it was basically a a picture of a side-by-side picture of Zoe Deschanel. You guys know who she is, right? Yep. 
So in one, it's <laughs> like, you know, her typical look that I think most people are familiar with, kind of like the manic pixie dream girl, right. bangs, glasses, kind of looks like, you know, nerdy oh, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right. then, and then there was like another picture. It, it was her again, but she was at some sort of like fashion show thing or something. No glasses, hair was up, had a bit more makeup, and they looked like two different people. It completely looked like two different people. I was like, I had to really look at the one with the makeup and, and without the glasses, the way I was norm, very used to seeing her. And I was like, yep. holy shit. Like, it's totally true. Like, I'm looking, this I'm is looking, how you can fool someone. I'm looking at the meme right now, and you're right. Two completely different people. <laughs> it's mind-blowing how <laughs> just a pair of glasses and bangs will, like, completely alter someone's appearance. Yeah. I uh, I mean I don't know what else there is to mention. I I guess we covered kind of plot uh, aspects and and thematic aspects. I, I mean, Wally, you didn't really mention anything about Man of Steel and your thoughts on that movie. Uh, I I I don't like Man of Steel. It's it's got a, a di- decent start, but then you ruin it with the whole Superman killing thing. Like that's not what he does. See, why, when you say that's not what he does, what does that mean to you? That's it, it, a it's a fundamental aspect of the character. That's that's part of what makes him. That's part of his weakness. See, that's the thing, though, is you're still holding on to the original core interpretation and core uh, writing of the character, and that's what uh, Hermano and I are talking about is updating the character. Plus, he is not Superman by that point. He is still understanding who he is and the the meaning of uh, of humanity and and the value of life. So his reaction at the end, uh, after he snaps Zod's neck, is is one of the best moments of that movie because that's the moment he realizes the value of human life. I'll never get behind that. Also, he technically kills Zod in Superman too. Ah. He throws him into that pit. <laughs> yes, technically true. <laughs> I mean, it's not as brutal as, like, snapping his neck, but he basically holds him up in the air, like, after, like, a, a hand crush, and then just, like, lets him fall into the abyss. <laughs> so, speaking of Superman 2, we've bandied about the idea of making this year a Christopher Reeve Superman year, with because I haven't seen Superman 3 or 4, and... and it, Ever? No, Never. Uh, oh wow! And uh, it, it might make a fun retrospective to go back and watch Christopher Reeve Superman movies for this year. Would you guys be up for that? I'm in. Uh, the only thing I can warn you guys off on is uh, that I had to actually have physical copies because they are not streaming on Netflix and they're not available on Amazon. Interesting. Interesting. So I I would be down to do that sp- specifically to def- defend the crap out of Superman three. Oh shit! And. Uh, put you guys in the mind frame that it's it's a horror film uh is that the one with uh sun sun dude no that's superman four okay. that's superman four right. yeah so, that's nuclear man uh nuclear superman man. three actually has richard, richard Pryor. okay yeah I, I i don't think i've seen any bit of superman three i do remember seeing bits and pieces of superman four on television but never the whole thing so <laughs> i saw superman four in the theater <laughs> <laughs> superman three free, there's a scene in superman three that we'll talk about when we get to it that Freaked me out as a kid. Oh, me too. I, I guarantee talk, you. Talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that's one of the reasons I point to it as a horror film because it scared the shit out of me. Yep. <laughs> Same. Uh, all right. Any last things about Superman the movie? Uh, are we it's good? Still great. Still, it's still great. holds up. It holds up. I, I agree. It holds up. 
Uh, so, Hermano, what would your grade be as a kid and as an adult? I think, honestly, it, it'll probably be very similar because I, I find very little fault. I still point to this film as one of the best ever made, one of the most recognizable, one of the best themes for sure, and one of the best acting performances slash representations of Superman. Um, it's it's actually the first one I think of, really. When I think of Superman, I think of Christopher Reeve. He's I, I would say he's my Superman, even over, um, you know, Brandon Routh and um, Henry Cavill. Um, cause I don't know. It's just, it's, I think the longevity I've, I've definitely seen it the most times. Um, I just love what he was able to do. Uh, there's a lot more Clark Kent in this too. Like, uh, like the man of steel doesn't feature a lot of him not being Superman, oh, you know, like well, it, it, when it does, what? Well, no, it does. It does feature cause he, he in man of steel. He's, uh, uh on a, a self journey, essentially going from job to job and place to place. There's, uh, moments uh before oh yeah before yeah, but he... it's, it's different like it's not it's not he, the same like he's, he's not like the nerdy right. clark can't like you know playing it up type thing it's it's more straightforward and even and, l- later on in in batman over superman he doesn't become that nerdy uh trope that we were familiar with he he is just a normal guy you know no yeah and they don't even play with the fact that like he looks even more so i, I would say like he literally just puts on a pair of glasses. Like he looks identical. Like, like I, I feel like they should play up the idea that I, I feel like Lois plays up the idea. She knows who he is. She but does. Like, yes. Uh, Perry doesn't seem to know who he is. And like, everyone seems to like not, not recognize him. It's weird. It's, it's weirder now than I think it was back then. But I don't know. I, I'm going out, going too long here, but like, I, I would probably give it like an a, a as a kid. And I, I'd still give it an a now. Uh, yeah, I I would have given it as A as a kid, but I, I think it's a B plus movie for me as an adult because it's just a lot of stuff. You know, you, you see the seams uh, as an adult yeah. that I can't get, uh, you know, get past. Uh, still, you know, worth a watch and all that kind of stuff. So uh, B plus. Wally. Uh, I would have given this movie an A plus as a child uh, because it's one of my favorite movies watch, uh, to watch growing up. But like you said, Tim, I do see a lot of the faults in this movie and uh a lot of things here and there that I'm just not a fan of these days. So it drops down to an A minus. Oh, uh, and so next, our next uh, second time watchers will be, I think, next month. Uh, Hermano, you you chose a specific movie, and for what reason? Okay, I was uh, waffling back and forth between either The People Under the Stairs or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and we decided. Tim made a good point that my next time around will be around October, and I figured that would be a better time for people under the stairs, so we're going with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Nice. Um, which came out... 89? 89, I would say. Yeah, okay. So this this was actually introduced to me as one of my brother's favorites. Uh, he He was... I think we watched it a lot together because it was one of his favorite movies at the time, so... Whenever it came time to like us, like pick a movie to watch or something, he would. Uh, it, this was kind of one of his go-to's, and I remember seeing it a lot because of him. And I grew to appreciate it a lot as well. I mean, it it's completely nine. I mean, uh, '80s in a lot of ways. It's even though it's right at '89, like it doesn't feel like it's transitioning out of the decade. It just feels like it's completely stuck in the '80s. But it's a really fun film. In my earliest, probably. Yeah, I think I would say my earliest introduction to Keanu Reeves. 
um, you know, two years before Point Break, uh, many years before The Matrix. So, like, yeah, like, I I think I remember him in Parenthood, but I can't yeah. remember when Parenthood came out. I think out. it was 88 or 89 as well. So Okay, so that, that may have been right around the same time. I, I remember him from that. But, like, yeah, I... I, I I, I have a fondness for it, and I haven't seen it in a long time, so I've been wanting to re revisit it. And um, you know, with the news that the they they're making a third one, so just kind of all, you know, kind of fits together. Yeah, I I uh, I think I caught this like when it came to uh, VHS rental the following year or whatever. I don't think I saw this in the theater, and I remember you know, enjoying it a lot. I found it uh, fun, but it's been a long time since I've seen this. So it'll be interesting going back to it. What's your memory of it, Wally? I barely remember any of this movie. I haven't seen it in so long. It's been, I think the last time I saw this, I was in high school. Huh. Uh, wow. So it's it's been, it's been quite a long time. I just remember, remember watching it going, this is basically like if Doctor Who was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of similarities. You have a, a, a telephone booth. You've got a guy who runs a telephone booth that uh, can travel through time in Rufus. And uh, you get you know, the, the, the two companions that have to do something. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to reviews. I haven't seen this in a while, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, all right, that does it for this episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. Donate via patreon.com slash first time watchers or buy stuff at zazzle.com slash first time watchers. Please talk to us on Twitter at 1sttimewatchers on Twitter. You can write to us at our email at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. And please download our episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a review. We love feedback. If you have any suggestions of movies for us to watch, please send a tweet or an email. Speaking of suggestions, Let's recommend a movie. Guys, I'm going to make it easy. I'm just going to recommend Man of Steel again. Like, if (laughs) if you've only seen this movie once, I want you to revisit it and and, uh, try to appreciate it on a more modern level. Please. Uh, Hermano. Okay. Uh, Aside from uh, Man of Steel, there there were some other comic book films that kind of got me back in. And it was kind of, I would say even now they're, they're products of their time, but they're kind of what brought comic books back into popularity. And regardless of what you think of this director, he made some good comic book films. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to say the first two X-Men, X-Men and X-Men two, uh, directed by Brian Singer, kind of a a dirt bag. Uh, I didn't know that then (laughs) I will, uh, defend myself that way, but, those are the ones that, along with the Sam Raimi stuff, of course, you know, that kind of brought me back in and was really the, you know, the films that just kind of, I don't know, they, they made comic books seem like they could be more than what, you know, even the, the Tim Burton stuff was, you know, like those still seem really entrenched in, you know, like they're straight out of the page, essentially, like the X-Men films just seemed like they were, it was like an updating and like bringing it into like modern times of the time and like the real world. So I, I appreciate them on that level. And I, I don't necessarily as much nowadays with a lot of the stuff that's been coming out. Wally. And I'm going to recommend uh, my favorite of the uh, reboots, recreations, revisitings of Superman. That's from 2006. That is also by Brian Singer. That's Superman returns. I like Superman doing Superman things. I get to see Superman doing Superman things. And one of the, probably the second best iteration of Lex Luthor I've ever seen. Interesting. Uh, All right, stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be discussing Alita Battle Angel. 
That's the first time we watch this podcast because we like to watch. Oh, don't ever give that up. Uh, I, well, I have Paul Pierce, of course. We wore it. Well, I wore mine. Actually, we both wore Paul Pierce. We went to the Celtics parade, right? Pretty sure. We both wore our Paul Pierce ones. Can you, uh, believe, can you believe that was 11 years ago already? It doesn't feel like it, but <laughs> I believe it. Um, i trying to think. I have other jerseys. I'm trying to think what else I have. Oh, I have like a Marcus Camby UMass jersey. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, I... I I think I'm missing one or two, but I can't think of off the top of my head. Wally, do you have any jerseys? Football jersey? Uh, I have no football jerseys. I've got hockey jerseys. Hockey jerseys. Oh. Well, I, I actually I actually sold one of them for for a nice little uh, chunk of change on eBay. Well, those are expensive to begin with, right? Yeah, and it was. I mean, I actually have like licensed like CCM like authentic jerseys. Yeah. Not game one or anything like that but the actual jerseys like the same jerseys the players would wear yeah the only one that i have is the the authentic is the paul pierce jersey everything else is replica i'm getting a new tampa jersey though because it turns out that the dean of the college is a big tampa fan and has friends down there okay and goes down there regularly so he's like if you want anything from the from the lightning let me know oh like, cool <laughs> i mean get me a jersey let me know how much it, text me how much it's going to be and I'll, i i want another uh, another uh a way jersey. How did you become a Tampa Bay Lightning fan to begin with? Uh, I found out about them early on in 1993 when I was in high school, and I got on board. They had they were the first NHL team to have a female goalie. Oh uh, yeah. In Maine, I forgot about that. Yeah, and oh, I, wow. I just got into them. I, I loved hockey to begin with. I was a Bruins fan, and uh, you know, and I I wanted to get on this on the ground floor of this new expansion team. They had something that caught my interest. I liked their logo, and I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. And I just grew to love them from there. Back when they sucked. Huh. I. So wait. So that was the you said the first female. So have there been female goalies since then? There's been minor league female goalies, but nothing in the major. Nothing. Nothing in the NHL yet. So only one female only player. One, and they were the first to have her. Huh. I wonder why no other female goalies have caught on and, and succeeded up to NHL level. Uh, uh, probably because, uh, I mean, Maynard is a pretty tall woman. And, like, to be a goalie, you want to be, like, in that, like, 6'2 range and up because the, the the amount of real estate you have to cover. Yeah. So it helps having, like, helps having like really long legs and, uh, you know, really large upper body to be able to take up as much space as you possibly can in front of the net. Was she any good? She was decent. She She did all right. I mean, the rest of, at the at the time when they came into the league, they they were terrible. Sure, they were absolutely terrible. They didn't get good until two thousand four. So, <laughs> do you do you think that she actually earned the spot, or it was more of like a PR type move? You know, going back and thinking about it, it's probably a little of column A, column B. Um, I thought she was. I mean, she was going to be in, in the in the NHL. She played a full, I think, two seasons with the team. Okay. So it's not like they didn't have options. To be able to get like a, a backup goalie from, you know, another team that that's looking to you know dump some you know uh, 
salary, you know, salary space. They could have gone with any, with anybody, and then eventually they end up getting uh, Nikola Habibulin uh, down the road, and he won them a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Well, I don't know why that just tasted like tuna fish. <laughs> or you can write to us on our. Oh, fuck, I'm bad at this already. <laughs> 